I love that song. I love the truths of that song. Then a voice behind me whispers, Child, I'm here, you're not alone. Boy, I sure hope you're not going to have to stand before God in your own righteousness. To be able to stand in the righteousness that the Lord Jesus Christ has, what a, what a grace that is, amen? You know, as, we were, as they were singing that song, I was thinking again about how easy it needs to be, how easy it ought always to be for the born-again Christian to be gracious with other people. Having been forgiven such a great, great debt, how can we hold anything against anybody else? It needs to be wonderfully, joyfully simple for you and I to be able to rejoice in the forgiveness that we have and for that rejoicing to cause us to uh, not only be willing to, but desire to forgive all of those around us. No matter what the offense is, no matter what the difficulty is, no matter what the sin against us is, no, what the, no matter what the malice that's held against us is, because of the love of God in Christ, we can, we can, and, 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 and will be able to walk in forgiveness. Just as we rejoice in how freely God has forgiven us, how fully God has forgiven us, we are able to forgive those around us also. Amen? Amen. Open your Bible with me, if you would, please, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. We've been studying 1 Peter now on Sunday mornings for a few weeks. We're just beginning this study. If you want to go back, if you uh, uh, have a desire to, to see the few introductory messages on this book, and then a couple of weeks ago we did a keynote uh, placing 1 Peter in our Bible. If you want to go back, those are available for you um, online. You can go online and find those under our Sunday uh, sermon uh, messages. You can go find those, and I, I think that'll be a help to you to be able to see those things. Uh, last week we began in verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, we looked at verses 1 through 5. We looked at five key words. We looked at strangers. We looked at scattered. We looked at elect. We, we looked at the uh, being born again. And we, uh, which is in begotten again, really, it's in verse 3. And then we looked at kept. Now we've already looked at a number of things this morning. What I'd like to do is to focus, to focus your attention for a moment on verse 2. Verse 2. We're going to look together this morning at verse 2. Let me say this about what we're getting ready to do. Um, in the time that we have on Sunday mornings, it is necessary that we take these truths in small pieces, because we don't have hours and hours and hours. But it really is necessary that you tie one week to the next week to the next week to the next week, that you may have the context, the context of what we're looking at, that it might be before you. What I mean by this is it matters to us what the Word of God says, and it matters to us that the Word of God be the one who tells us what it means when it says this. Uh, it's very easy to take a couple of verses... And make it say whatever you want to say. It's very easy. And this is, what, this is what false teachers do. This is what people who care more about themselves 
than the people who are hearing the word of God, people who care more about what people think about the preacher than they do about the Lord Jesus Christ himself, they will just take a few verses and then they'll say something wonderfully clever and cute and, and, and cause you to follow them instead of just follow the Lord Jesus. What you need is the Word of God. What I need is the Word of God. And what we need is for the Word of God to be able to speak for itself. Now, to be able to do this, the best way to do this is to see the words as they are, and then to have some idea of what the words themselves mean. And so in order to do that today, the time we're getting ready to spend today, uh, probably next week we'll tie more things together. But this week, I want to look specifically at some words that I believe are important in understanding the beginning of 1 Peter. Now, before I say, before we get into that, let's go to 1 Peter uh, chapter uh, 1, right where you are, and look at verse 8 for just a moment. Look at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. Whom, now that who it is is in the end of verse 7, Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, now how many of you, how many of you have ever seen the Lord Jesus Christ, physically seen the Lord Jesus Christ with your eyes? And the answer is none of you. Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now what God is revealing to us through 1 Peter is this. God desires your new life if you're a new creature. Now again, in 1 Peter, when you come to 1 Peter, 1 Peter is in the book, the part of our Bible that we call the general epistles. It starts in the book of Hebrews, and then the book of James, and then 1 Peter. In this portion of your Bible, what God is do doing is proving to you whether what you have is the real thing or not. Um, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of people that I have seen, including one in my own family, who had a profession of salvation, and, and this is my son Andrew, who we testified to this weeks ago, reading 1 John, which is a book not far from where we are, and he, you know, during a, an, an extended period of time during one of the tent meetings that we're having here at the church, and he said, Dad, what, you know, what is the book of 1 John for? And my answer was, well, you already know the answer to that question, that you might know that you believe. And he said, well, what if you're reading it and you don't know that you believe? And the answer is really kind of simple, isn't it? Then you probably don't. If you're reading the reality epistles, and while you're reading these epistles, when God is trying to, trying to prove to you that you have the genuine article, and you begin to realize, I don't think I have this. I don't think I have this. Listen, listen. The answer is very, very simple. Humble yourself and confess to God, I don't have what the Bible is referring to when it talks about a real salvation. I don't have newness of life. These things are not true about me. And listen, I am so brokenhearted. Don's Sunday school class this morning was talking about this a great deal. I am so brokenhearted for people who are trying to please God with their efforts. Instead of rejoicing that a voice behind me whispers, child, I'm here. You're not alone. You must have the salvation that's in our Lord Jesus Christ. You must have the Spirit of God living within you. If you don't have the Spirit of God living within you, you can try and you can try and you can try and you can try. But here's what you'll have to do. You'll have to lie. You'll have to pretend. 
Because you cannot walk in the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit, you will have to have a counterfeit of that. You will have to have your own imaginary version of that. And you will try very hard to put that on in front of other people when you're around them. Please let that go. If you're here with us this morning and that's your experience of Christianity, let it go. Just let it go. God simply wants you to be honest with Him and say, I need you to save me. I need you to save me. I need you to change me. I need you to make me a new creature. This is what God wants. Now notice what it says. It says, whom having not seen, our Lord Jesus Christ, listen, ye love. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Now listen, everybody would say they do. Everybody that goes to church would say they do. Everybody that would confess to be a Christian would say they do. But do you really love him? Do you keep his commandments? Do you walk in the way that he would have you to walk? Are you ruling your own life while saying that you love Jesus? Don't. Don't. Whom, having not seen you love. So that this book is clearly written to those who are already experiencing these things that God wants for us. And he's making it clear this is what it's supposed to be like. So what he's promising us in 1 Peter is that you and I can have a life full of rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, now, lest you think that that's all that Christianity will ever be, once you're saved, all I'll ever do is rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let me read you the context of verse number 8. So go back in uh, verse 6. Verse 6. Look at verse 6 and we'll read together. Wherein, speaking about this salvation that, that's ready to be revealed in the last time, that salvation, wherein ye greatly rejoice. And by the way, the word greatly rejoice literally means to jump up and down. Literally. To gush forth. Your life as a Christian should have wonderful periods in it. It's expressions of great adoration for God. It's okay, Baptists, to be, oh, to be happy in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's okay to even say it out loud. Amen? It is. You didn't say it very well, but it is okay. Amen? So it says, now this is what it says, it says, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what you see is this, one, look up here, please, for just a moment. What you see is this, we live in a wicked world. We live in a wicked world. Number two, in you that is in your flesh there dwelleth no good thing. But the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. Amen? So listen, the power to walk in light is within the child of God. However, the world in which we live is not going to get better. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. The world is going to continue to behave itself the way it wants to behave itself, even after you're saved. And so there will be times of heaviness in your life. There will be difficulties that will come into your life. This is going to be the reality. Listen, listen, I am so encouraged, the more I understand the Word of God, that God is right up front about everything having to do with our salvation. The greatness of the goodness of God in our lives. You Listen, I, I honestly... I could spend the rest of our time together this morning talking about how good God is, and I could not come close to telling you how good God is. Now listen, I'm not talking about how great God is. God is great. God is almighty. But that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God is good. Everything that God does, He does because He is 
good. Even the difficulties in your life are brought into your life because of the goodness of God wanting to reveal the greatness of God to you in your life. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to chapter uh, 1, the first couple of verses. And I really want to look at verse 2. Verse 2. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Now it's very, very clear this is at the very beginning, right? Right at the very beginning of this, of this epistle, we have this greeting. And the greeting contains these significant truths. And what we're going to do is we're going to spend just a couple of minutes together this morning looking into the words found in this greeting, these significant truths. So notice it starts with elect. Let me, let me just read it in the context, right? So it says, first, uh, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and, and Bithynia. Elect. The strangers scattered are elect. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And to those, he says, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. But let's talk about those people. Let's talk about those who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's talk for just a couple of moments together this, about that. Father, help us. Please help me. Help me to say these things well. Lord, I'm very aware that these words are significant and important to understanding the context, to understanding the, what you're saying as we move into this book. And yet, Father, I realize that we have to look at the words, and the difficulty with looking at the words is to miss the forest because of the trees. So, Lord, as we look at these trees this morning, help us to look back out and see the greatness of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. According to the, so elect, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, through sanctification of the Spirit. If you underline in your Bible, do this. It says, elect according to the, uh, the foreknowledge of God the Father. Underline God the Father. Just go ahead and do that. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Go ahead and underline that. And then it says, through the sanctification of the Spirit. Underline the Spirit. So you underline God the Father, and then you underline the Spirit. Unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now go ahead and line Jesus Christ. Now notice what you find in verse 2. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, all together completely involved in your salvation. Amen? God, listen, the entire Godhead is given over to your salvation. He is from beginning to end the author and finisher of all of these things and they are working in concert. They are working together as one for your salvation and everything that you need in it. Now, so we see here the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. And last week we addressed the Father somewhat last week when we looked at the word, at the word elect. Now we're not going to spend a great deal of time today on that because we spent time on it last week. But what I want you to lay hold of is this. I'm just going to say this because there are some people here who weren't here last week. Election. When people talk about election, for some reason, it makes for disagreement. Because, listen, when people hear that God elects people, they have a tendency to think this way. I'm just going to take these two items. So God elects some for salvation. Well, that means that he must elect the rest to go to hell. And that's not true. God elects nobody to go to hell. 
God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come under repentance. It is not God's will. Listen to me. It is not God's will that any should perish. He has no desire for it. He has no... Listen, at the, at the great white throne, if you stand... Remember I said at the very beginning, I really hope you don't have to stand before God without the righteousness that Jesus Christ came to give you. If you stand before God in your own righteousness, it will be your own fault. Because Jesus lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John chapter 1 teaches us that. God is not willing that any should perish. Now listen, so what is election? If election is this, if God elects that there are some people who are going to be saved, then what does that mean? And the answer is given to us in this very passage. Election, what does it say? Elect according to what? Foreknowledge. Well, what does that mean? What is elect according to foreknowledge? Let's say, let's say this. Let's say this. Uh, on, on the 4th of July, we'll play volleyball, right? It's one of the things that we'll do. On the 4th of July, we'll play volleyball. And if you say, I want to be on the winning team when we play volleyball, well, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could tell you who the winning team was before we started? And say, yeah, I want to be on that team. If I had foreknowledge and could tell you, oh, I already know. Now, by the way, if I had foreknowledge, I, I just going to be honest with you. If I had foreknowledge, if I had perfect foreknowledge, my, where I'm going to focus my foreknowledge probably would be on the stock market, not on the volleyball game, okay? Because what I would say is simply this. You know what stocks you ought to buy? Let me tell you what stocks you ought to buy. Because in six months, Apple's going to double in stock, or Google's going to double its stock price. Now, that may not matter to you. That's an awful lot of money. Apple's worth almost, what, uh, three-quarters of a trillion dollars right now. Trillion, not billion, trillion. Okay, that's what, that's what their market worth is right now. Listen, the point I'm making when I say that is this. We don't have foreknowledge. We do not know what, you know, we, we often sing this hymn, I know not what tomorrow holds, but what? But I know who holds tomorrow. Well, guess who does know what tomorrow holds? Anybody want to guess who knows what tomorrow holds? God knows what tomorrow holds. But God just does, doesn't just know what tomorrow holds. God knows what the day after that holds, and the day after that, and the day after that. It's really important that you understand that space and time are things that we are constrained by. God is not constrained by these things. God made these things. Before God made time, there was no time. And at the end, God's going to say, there will be no more time. When it's over, there will be no more time. So God understands everything. The, way, the easiest way to understand this, boy, it really helps me a great deal. I'm just going to take this. I don't have a box. But I want you to picture, this is a, this is, let's picture this as a box with dimensions roughly like it is, only let's just make it that tall, right? So listen, listen, this is really important to you. Everything, everything that is, is in this box. Everything, everything that is, except for God. All of the universe, all space, all time, from one point in history all the way to the other end of history, whatever that time frame is, every single bit of it is in this box. Now, I want you to picture a box. You find a box in your house, a box about this size, and it's got a bunch of little things in it, right? So what do you do? You take the box, you set it down, and you just pick through it. Oh, I forgot I had this thing, right? Anybody ever find like an old piece of technology or something in a box? And you look at it and you say, oh, I remember when this thing was new. I remember this thing was the thing, right? And you just drop it back in the box because it really isn't the thing anymore. But you have all these things in a box and you can touch both ends of the box at any time you want to, dig around in the box. Well, that's exactly what God can do. Now, because we can't, we have a hard time understanding that God can do that. So what, when, it, when it says elect according to foreknowledge, all it's saying is this, God knows those that are going to trust him. 
God knows those that are going to believe unto salvation, and those are the elect. But all it means is that do you have free will? You sure do. Does everybody have free will? They sure do. Can you do whatever you want to? You sure can. Does God want you to get saved? Yes, he does. Can you trust him and, and become born again and, and have the forgiveness of sins? Yes, you can. Can you reject that and stand before God one day in your own righteousness and then be cast into the lake of fire? Yes, you can. You can make that choice if you want to. It's up to you. But God already knows what you're going to do. That's all election means. And listen, election helps me a great deal. It helps me a great deal. That's why God reveals it. It helps me because I know that I'm a new creature. And I know because I'm a new creature that God is going to keep me all the way until the end. Because the day that I trusted him, I trusted him for everything. I didn't just trust him to take away the sins that I had committed to this point. When I trusted the blood of Christ, I trusted that he would take care of all of my sins. That he would forgive me of all of my sins. That he would be the author and the finisher of my faith. That everything would be dealt with by Jesus who is the Christ, period. Amen? That's it. That's all I want to say this morning on that. Really, really helpful. Really, really helpful. Now, let's look at the next phrase in, this, in verse 2. So, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, comma, and then through sanctification of the Spirit. So, the next phrase is through sanctification of the Spirit. Now, what does it mean? What does sanctification of the Spirit mean? Well, what does sanctification mean, right? At its root, I'm going to give you the actual definition. This is the definition. If you look it up in Thayer's, this is what you'll find. To render or acknowledge or to be venerable or hallow. Now what that means is this, to render or acknowledge, to make something, to call something, or to become venerable. Venerable just means holy. Holy or set aside, to separate from profane things and to dedicate to God. So look, 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 let me help you with this. This is such a, such a simple thing to understand. A cup is just a cup. I'm gonna take this glass, right? Again, I've, I've done this many times, but it really helps me to understand it. This is a glass, right? This is just any glass. But this glass, Malcolm, Malcolm, Malcolm takes care of this glass, and Malcolm takes care of this glass. When I say he takes care of it, somebody else probably washes it. But Malcolm's the one, every Sunday, Malcolm brings me these two glasses. Typically, John James is here, and this would have less water in it, because John James drinks this glass of water during Sunday school, and I drink this glass of water during the morning service. These glasses are set aside in the kitchen. Listen, they're set aside in the kitchen so that Malcolm can find them and every Sunday he'll be able to put clean ice and clean water in those glasses and bring them here. So these glasses have been set apart. They've been set apart. Now the idea of holy is simp simply means set apart. That's what it means. At its root, something that is sanctified is set apart. So when God says... In the Old Testament, these things that we're going to use in the temple, listen, we're only going to use them in the temple. And he did what? He sanctified them. He set them aside and said, make cups, make tables, make different things, put them in the temple, and where do they get used besides in the temple? And the answer is nowhere. When you and I were saved, we were set apart. We were set apart, we were set apart listen, by God for God. When you and I were saved, when you and I were made new creatures, the elect, right? Those that are the strangers scattered. When we were saved, God himself said, I'm going to take you. 
I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you, I'm going to set you aside, and you're for my use. This is a wonderful truth. You are sanctified not by your efforts. You are sanctified because God has set you aside so that he can use this vessel, the vessel that you're living in, the life that he has given you, the very spirit that's within you, all that you are, God is now able to use that unto his honor, unto his glory. That's what happened when you were saved. Amen? Now let me ask you this. Has anybody ever been unaware of this as a child of God? Raise your hand if you weren't aware that you were set apart by God. Anybody ever, have, ever not know that? Thank you, Kenny. Kenny raised his hand because he can't see that nobody else raised theirs. This is a strange thing. Are you telling me from the time that you were saved, you knew that you were set apart and lived a set apart life? Is that true for you? I think Tim might have raised his hand. He's all the way in the back. How many of you did not realize just how set apart you were when you were saved? Raise your hand if that's true for you. Yeah, I don't want to get too, too carried away about this, right? I didn't know I was set apart when I was saved. I knew I was forgiven when I was saved, but I had no idea that I was set apart when I was saved. I had no idea that God had literally set me aside and I was meant to be exclusively for His use. I would tell you that most people in this room, most people in Christianity America today still don't understand how much God has set us apart. God has set us apart, listen, for His use for good things. That's what God has done. Now let me give you a couple of verses that will go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn there if you will. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm just going to show you three verses. Three verses. That deal with our sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, here's the three verses. It's in three verses right here together. This will be the easiest way to see it together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, verse 4, and verse 7. Now you can underline them as we get there. That'll help you if you underline them when we get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. So obviously the word sanctification and the word sanctification are the same Greek word. They are the same Greek word as the one that we found in 1 Peter. Sanctification in verse 3, sanctification in verse 4. And then if you keep reading in verse 7 it says this. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness but unto holiness. Underline the word holiness. Same exact Greek word as sanctification. So here's what God is saying. Look, listen. Please look up here. God has called us to a holy life. God has called us to live differently than before we were saved. Um, I guess the easiest way to express this would be to, to give a testimony of um, not long after I was saved. My cousins, as is probably true in your life, my cousins and I are about the same age, right? Most of us are similar age to many of our cousins. And before I was saved... I was not a godly person before I was saved. And I was quite popular before I was saved, not only in, in, in other places, but, in, but in, in the group of people that were, are my cousins, I was popular amongst my cousins. And after I was saved, I was living here in the area when I was saved. I went back up to New England, where I'm from. I went up back up to Vermont. And I had, we, were, we were up in St. Johnsbury, Vermont, for anybody that knows Vermont well enough to know where St. Johnsbury is. And we were up in St. Johnsbury, Vermont, and we had gone to a bowling alley. 
My, my cousins and I had gone to a bowling alley. And so we were at the bowling alley, and the bowling alley, you know, some bowling alleys, are, the bowling alleys vary. Some bowling alleys are very, today, the age in which we live in now, most bowling alleys are quite family-centric. In other words, they're very clean, they're very well lit, uh, you, you'd be comfortable with your children being there. But bowling alleys, when I grew up, were not really like that. At least then this one was one of those. Kind of dark, kind of poorly lit, served a lot of alcohol, served a lot of chicken wings, that kind of a thing. And so we went to this bowling alley, which is something that we did a lot together. And so we went to the bowling alley, and we were sitting at this place in the bowling alley, and my cousins ordered, we ordered a pizza, you know, we ordered a pizza and, and they ordered some beer, and we were sitting there, and friends of ours from where I grew up, they had come up, and we were all talking and everything. And, and I can't tell you why. I really can't tell you why, because I was just a baby Christian. But all I could tell you is I was just not comfortable anymore. I was just not comfortable being around all the alcohol, really, is what I was not comfortable around. Something about it just made me grieve. Something about the cigarette smoke, the, the darkness, the, the, the alcohol just made me uncomfortable. And, so I, and I, so I said this, hey, can we go down to Mr. Z's and eat instead? And they said, why? We have pizza right here. I said, yeah, but I just don't want to sit here anymore. Can we just go down to Mr. Z's and eat there instead? And we did. We went down there. Now, interestingly, that was really probably the last time I spent any real time with those two cousins. And what's curious is this. Their mother said to them this. You know, you used to, Chuck used to be the popular cousin. And now because he doesn't like to drink or go to places like that anymore, now you guys don't like to be around him anymore. Now listen, I was not, it's really important that you understand, I was not better than my cousins. I'm not better than my cousins today. I simply didn't want to be around the alcohol anymore. Do you understand? Something within me was just not comfortable with that, with that kind of lifestyle anymore. But this passage makes it clear why that's true. Um, that we should abstain from fornication, that we would know how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. It has nothing, to, listen, please hear me. Being different has nothing to do with being holier than now. It has nothing to do with being better than other people. It simply is this. There are things that you used to do that you just can't do anymore because you have, listen, not because you will make yourself not do them, but because you are set aside, you don't want to do them anymore. Amen? I simply don't want to live like that anymore. It isn't a matter of being better or, or, or more righteous in our own selves. No, no, no. It's simply that when God saved us, he set us aside, and you sense that. You're aware of that. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the author of this in your life. And you know, you know what? I did not understand this at all as a baby Christian, but it was the Holy Ghost that was uncomfortable in the room that I was in. Do you understand? My flesh was perfectly comfortable with the room that I was in, but the Holy Spirit within me was not comfortable. This is Chuck, Chuck. This is not what I... Now listen, let me say this, by the way. I'm in no way telling you how to live your life. The Holy Spirit will tell you how to live your life from the Word of God. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit will tell you how to live your life from the Word of God. But what the Holy Spirit, when He sanctifies you, He sets you aside under things that He wants in your life, and He wants to remove certain things that shouldn't be in your life anymore. So that's sanctified, sanctified in the Spirit. Now, the last phrase in this verse, and we're just looking at these quickly this morning. Again, we'll build on these next week. Come back next week, and we'll put them all together. But what I want, to see, what you, what I want you to see this morning is this. It says, it says uh, uh, sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. The Holy Spirit is at work in your life, and unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood. Turn to Romans chapter 5 with me, if you would. Romans chapter 5.
Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, that's talking about Adam, okay? For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. In other words, we became sinners because of the disobedience of one man, because of Adam's disobedience. So, by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And this is a wonderful truth. Because of the obedience of Christ, listen, hear me. Your obedience, look up here, your obedience can never be your salvation. Because your obedience is an incomplete obedience. Do you understand? You are not perfectly obedient. You have not done all things right. You're still not doing all things right. But, you're, but in your life you know you have not done all things right. But praise God, Jesus has done all things right. He has a perfectly obedient life. So notice what it says here. It's, so at the beginning of this obedience we need to understand this. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. So because of Adam, that's how we got into this mess. By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So now because of Christ's obedience we can escape the disobedience we were born in. I was born in the disobedience of Adam but I don't have to die in the disobedience of Adam. Amen. I can die in the righteousness that's in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's his obedience that earned that righteousness and not mine. Amen? But keep going. Go to chapter 6. Go to chapter 6, verse 16. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. So much here. So much here. Romans chapter 6, verse 16. So now, if you've been set aside, if you've been changed, notice it says in verse 16, know ye not, know you not, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death, or obedience unto righteousness. So here's what happens. If, you're gonna, if you really are trusting Christ, just trust Christ. And it will change your life. You know, listen, this is the, the wonderful thing about salvation is this. Salvation works from the inside out. Isn't it? I mean, really, truly. You know, listen, please hear me. Listen, I, I really need everybody to hear me. There are people here this morning who are trying to be obedient enough to get into heaven. You can't. You can't be obedient enough to get into heaven. Jesus has been obedient enough to get into heaven. You understand? And this is what Jesus, this is such an important truth. Let me just take these two sheets of paper. This is for simplicity's sake. This piece of paper represents your life. And this, and this piece of paper represents the Lord Jesus' life, okay? This is your life. And in it are all the things that you've done wrong. Now, obviously, it would be a much bigger than one sheet of paper, right? It would be a terrible, tragic mess, quite honestly, just full of a lot of selfishness and hurt. That's what it would be full of. And this is your life. And this is the Lord Jesus' obedience. So this is your obedience, and this is his obedience. And this is, what the, this is the invitation that Jesus makes with you personally. He says, give me, Jesus says, give me your obedience, and I'll pay for it. And I'll give you mine. And when you stand before my father, you just hand this to him. Isn't that wonderful? When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, it is finished. What is finished? He paid for all of my sins. All my sins. But in, in, that, in place of my sins, which he took upon himself, in place of your sins, all of which he took upon himself, he says, let me give you my righteousness instead. That's what our Lord Jesus has done. 
So if that's true, if that has changed you, if you are a new creature, then now I no longer want the things that I wanted before. I no longer have... Now listen, I'm not saying to you, listen, look, look. I'm not saying pretend to be a good Christian and stop wanting the things that you want. What I'm saying is this, if you are a new creature, your very heart desire has been changed. Romans chapter 7 is going to make this very, very clear. uh, There are things that the inward man in me now rejoices in that I never cared about before. Amen? There are things about Christ that I'm all excited about now. I never cared about them before. But when I was 21, when I was 19, when I was 17, when I was living my own life, when I was doing what I wanted, I cared nothing for the things of Christ. Nothing. But after I was saved, boy, I sure cared about them then. Right? What I found was this. I couldn't do them in my own strength. But I sure did care about him. Amen. And that's why the Holy Ghost was given to us. The Holy Ghost was given to us because the Holy Ghost of God, the power of God within us, allows us to now walk in a completely different way than we did before. But we have nothing to brag about. Nothing to brag about except Jesus. All that I can ever brag about is the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot brag about myself. I cannot brag about this church. I cannot brag about you guys. All I can brag about is how great Jesus is. But I will brag about how great Jesus is because he has done absolutely everything. So this is the obedience. Now, one more verse I want you to see. We're almost done. It's also in chapter 6. Here we are in chapter 6, and it's the very next verse, right? So now let's look. Verse 16, know ye not that to whom ye, ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether unto sin, excuse me, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but that ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Amen? Listen, look, look up here for a moment. There was a time in your life, if you're saved, if you're born again, there was a time in your life when you heard the gospel and you said this, I want that. Amen? I want that. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to be religious. I don't want my righteousness. I want that. I want that Savior right there. That's what I want. You obeyed. It's amazing. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. In other words, the word of God was preached in your presence, and you said, that's what I want. That's what I want right there. Not, Not only do I want it, I need that. I need that right there. Can I have, I want to do that change thing. Can I do that change thing? I don't want to have my righteousness anymore. I want Jesus' righteousness instead. Amen? Now listen, praise God. The Holy Spirit of God moving in a group of people just like this, speaking to the people, all of us together, and saying, look, do you want your own righteousness or do you want the righteousness that's in Christ? And now, by the way, if you're born again, remember, we're just at the very beginning of 1 Peter, which is going to talk about joy unspeakable and full of glory, but you should continually rejoice that at one point you were lost and now you're not lost anymore. Now you are saved by the blood of Christ. You are sanctified, set apart by the Spirit of God unto obedience. That's what I want. Because it was the Holy Ghost working in your heart saying, believe who Jesus is. Believe who Jesus is. Believe who Jesus is. You know, there's a passage. Let's look at the passage I think probably we should see. Turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. I'm asked about this passage a lot. Mark chapter 3. A number of times people ask me, what is the point in this passage? What what is being said in this passage? Mark chapter 3. In verse 28. 
Mark chapter 3 and verse 28. The Lord Jesus is teaching. He's speaking. And he's been being insulted, by the way, those he's trying to help. And you'll see it at the end of verse 30. Verily, verily, excuse me, verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. What's it say? How many sins can be forgiven? You say Hitler could be forgiven? The answer is yes. Had Hitler repented, he could be forgiven. Do you understand? All sins can be forgiven. All sins, if you will repent, all sins can be forgiven. Notice what it says. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies, wherewith soever they have blasphemed. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. He that blasphemes the Holy Ghost shall hath never forgiveness. He that shall blaspheme the, against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. What is this passage saying? And it's very simple. This is what this passage is saying. Listen to what the Holy Spirit, we already saw, sanctified by the Spirit. This is what the Spirit says. This is, listen, this is what the Spirit says. In this Bible is the Christ. He is the Savior. It is the Holy Spirit's responsibility when the Word of God is preached to speak to your heart and say, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus, this Jesus that he's preaching right now, he's the Christ. That's his responsibility. It is his responsibility to testify that Jesus is the Christ. And when you reject that, there is no forgiveness. Do you understand? You want to know why? Because you've just rejected the only forgiveness that you could ever have, right? What is the forgiveness of sins? The answer is the blood of Jesus Christ. If you reject the Holy Ghost when he says, Jesus is the Christ, and you say, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to talk about that. I want to live my own life. I want to live the way I'm living my life. I just want to go on the way I'm living right now. When you reject the Holy Ghost, what does it say? Hath never forgiveness. He that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Now let me ask you this question. Is it possible to repent of rejecting the Holy Ghost? Oh yes, it is. You just have to put your hand down. You just have to say, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I've been wrong for a long time. Jesus is the Christ, and I need him to be my Savior. And all you have to do is receive the very testimony that the Holy Ghost is giving, and then you can be saved. But if you die rejecting the Holy Spirit's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, there is no forgiveness because you've rejected the Savior. Do you understand? This is what God wants us to understand. This is what God wants us to know. The obedience, when, when you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, what you did is you believed the Holy Spirit when he said, Jesus is the Christ. And you said, he is. He is. And I need him to be my Savior. I need him to be my Savior. Now, the last thing we're going to look at together this morning is the sprinkling of blood. The sprinkling of blood. How much do you think the New Testament that we don't, boy, I tell you, this is a, this is a, I, I understand, I'm so very aware this morning, and I apologize for those of you that, are, that, that, are, that think, boy, he's just more teaching than preaching this morning. I, I realize that I am. But you need, these, you need these words, you need these truths. The New Testament does not talk very much about the sprinkling of blood. The Old Testament talks about the sprinkling of blood. Now, what is the purpose of the sprinkling of blood? Anybody want to know? Let's, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews talks about the sprinkling of blood, by the way. Hebrews chapter 12. And what's happening in the book of Hebrews? In the in book of Hebrews, we're introduced to our great high priest, our great high priest, right? 
Not the priesthood, not all those priests from the Old Testament, but the one priest that actually mattered. All of those priests were just pictures of the one priest that actually matters, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. Let's start in, uh, um, to, let's start, let's start to ver- in verse 23. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, talking about the born-again believers assembling together, and to, and, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now look up here for just a moment. What is the blood of sprinkling that Abel, who's Abel? Who's Abel? Anybody know? Right? Adam's son, right? Abel came before God with what? What did he come before God with? A blood sacrifice. Yes? He came before God with a blood sacrifice. And here's what he said. I don't understand this. I don't understand this, but I know this. I know you covered my parents with the skins of animals, and those animals had to lose their life, and you considered, they tried to cover themselves with their own clothing. They made some clothes out of leaves, and you said that wasn't good enough. You covered them with the skins of animals, and I believe, I believe that what you're saying is somebody had to die to cover my mother and father, and this is a picture of that, and I believe that, and guess what? That's exactly what it's pointing out. The Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life to save us from our sins. Amen? But the sprinkling of the blood of bulls and of goats was used in the Old Testament as a picture of this. As a picture of this. And listen, listen. And yet, if you go back and look at the, at, the, at the temple, if you go back and look at the tabernacle, if you go back and look, when the blood was sprinkled on things, what did it do to it? Anybody know? It made it clean. It made it holy. Remember, we're talking about being separated unto God. Listen, this is so wonderful. Look. Boy, this is so wonderful. If you're born again, you're holy. But how? Because the blood of Christ has been sprinkled on you. Do you understand? When you trusted in the blood of Christ, listen, not only did it pay for your sins, but it made you holy so that you could be separated unto God, so that you could be sanctified, set apart. God said, I can use your life now. Why? Why? How can my, listen, how many of you be honest and say, how can my life be of any use to God at all? And he said, oh no, I, I, I sprinkled blood. When I saved you, I put the blood of Christ upon you. You are set aside by the power of God. You are sprinkled by the blood of God, and you are holy because of the blood of Christ. Listen, hear me. Not because of your daily efforts. And we can talk about that. There, I mean, because you're a new creature, your life should be different. Amen? But listen, listen. Here's the good news. You don't have to stand before God ever in your righteousness. You always get to stand before God in the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given you. And the blood that has been sprinkled upon you. You obeyed from the heart. You said yes when Jesus was preached to you. And that blood was applied to you. And it changed absolutely everything. And listen, this is so wonderful because now, now, you and I are strangers scattered. But it doesn't matter that we're strangers scattered because God knows that we are already believing on him and we've already been sanctified and the blood has already been applied to our lives and it's wonderful. It's wonderful whether we're gathered in this room, whether we're gathered in another room, whether we never are able to gather together again, you and I together, because of the blood of Christ, we are sanctified. We are able to be the servants that God would have us to be, not by our own strength, not by our own goodness, not by our own power, but because of what God has done on our behalf. And it is the Father and the Holy Ghost and the Son together that have done these things in our lives. Father, thank you. 
Thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes we feel far aware, so much aware of our powerlessness. And this is one such morning. Lord, I pray that you take your word, the verses that we looked at, and that you take them home to the hearts of the listeners. Lord, that, you, that we would be able to rejoice in the fact that we are, we are simply by obeying from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto us, that when we believe this, the, the testimony that the Holy Ghost gave us when he said, this is, the, this is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world, that, Father, you changed our lives, that you changed everything, and, Lord, that's what's happened, and you have made us wonderfully holy. And because of that, Lord, we can and we will be your servants. We can love one another. We can go on in the good things of God. We do not have to walk in the way that we walked before because you've changed us from the inside out. You've changed our very hearts. You've given us a new heart by giving us the Holy Spirit of God within us. Father, thank you for these things. Thank you for this so much. We rejoice in Jesus' name.